Believing in Jesus, next on Grow in Grace. You might say that it is the theme of the Gospel of John. It's on his mind as he tells us the story of Jesus. And he's careful to point out that it is by believing you are saved. It is, in fact, trusting in, same word, trust, believing in what Jesus said, that he came and died for my sins. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your We've all been around people who are quite generous in their application of cologne or perfume. Sometimes you can smell them from across the room. Well, today on Grow in Grace, we'll smell something not so pleasant, as well as something very attractive. Last time on Grow in Grace, Pastor Ed Ray placed the spotlight on one of the most amazing miracles of Christ, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Today, we'll see the response from the people. We're in John chapters 11 and 12. We're in the Gospel of John chapter 11 this morning. John writes, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs, many miracles. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. Oh no. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now he did not say this on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put Jesus to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples, and the Passover of the Jews was near. Many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they saw Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where Jesus was, they should report it that they may seize him. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made Jesus a supper. And Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. 
This he said, one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you've left for us this historic story and how it came together, that we might understand you better. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us that we might leave this place differently than the way we came, more in love with you and understanding you better. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. This section of Scripture has to do with fragrance. That's why we entitled it the Jesus Fragrance. Now, John, the writer of this gospel, introduced the subject uh, back two weeks ago we looked at it. And there when Jesus got to the tomb of Lazarus, the brother of two sisters, Mary and Martha, he wanted her to move the stone away. And she said, oh no, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He stinks there in Middle East. It's warm and he's been in the grave for four days and he's decaying. He's, it's not going to smell good at all. But Jesus prevailed. They rolled back the stone and Lazarus came out. But John introduces this concept of smell, this idea that fragrance, now it follows all the way through the part of the story we just read. And there, the sister of Lazarus, in an act of worship of Jesus, breaks open a container of the most expensive base for fragrance, for perfume in the world, spikenard. And we'll talk about it when we get there. So we have the fragrance of Jesus, which is this very expensive base that's so strong that it almost makes your eyes water. And the, the smell of Lazarus, because he's been dead for four days, that's so strong, it does make your eyes water. And, and they come together in this story. Now, smell, one of our five senses, is very important. In fact, physiologists tell us that our memories are indexed by smells and sights and sounds and touch. So if I said to you, holidays at your house, I would think of the smell, turkey, apple pie, and those smells when they actually happen in our house will make me think of past Thanksgivings or Christmases when we were kids growing up, etc. And the same works for particular views. You go stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and when I go there, I remember, what, I've been there several times in my life, and it makes me think. It's indexed to the various memories. So it is with music, a certain piece of music, and the same for taste and touch. And so our senses become this catalog in our brain. So 
we have memories and to connected to these smells and those smells permeate our lives. Now, we are looking at the subject of worship embedded in the middle of this. And it has a lot to do with this fragrance that Mary would break open. So this section breaks up into three parts. The first one is the smell of power, 45 through 57, as these Jewish leaders want to destroy their competition. Jesus is making them look bad. And then verse 1 through 3 of the smell of love, of worship of this woman, Mary, for Jesus. And then the smell of greed as Judas wants to sell the, would have preferred to sell the perfume and, and use the money. So that's kind of where we're going. The first section, the smell of power, verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. You'll remember that John, when he writes and says the word Jews, it's not an ethnic statement. He's not talking about those who are children of Abraham. He's talking about those who lived in Judea, around Jerusalem, who were the religious leaders. So he will, whenever he uses the term Jews, he is talking about the priests and the Levites and the chief priests of the Jewish faith. So many of those who had come to Mary's house in Bethany and seen Lazarus raised from the dead, they saw that and they believed in him. Now, belief is a word that appears 98 times in the Gospel of John. You might say that it is the theme of the Gospel of John. It's on his mind as he tells us the story of Jesus. And he's careful to point out that it is by believing you are saved. It is, in fact, trusting in, same word, trust, believing in what Jesus said, that he came and died for my sins. That is the basis of our salvation. So he's saying Jewish leaders saw Lazarus raised from the dead and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But some, verse 46, went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Now the Pharisees were a political group. They were very liberal. They didn't really even believe in miracles. And, and they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were afraid of him. And they refused to suspend their unbelief. So trusting, putting faith in Jesus is a choice on your part, on my part. We choose to suspend disbelief and look at the evidence and make a decision based on what we see. Thanks for studying along with us today on Grow in Grace. And there's much more to come, so please keep listening. Pastor Ed Ray is in John chapters 11 and 12. Now, today we live in a time where many people, particularly in the press, criticize 
Christianity, people who believe in God, particularly any God, but certainly Christianity, they criticize us for being believing in everything, in anything. Christians have blinders on. They don't look critically at anything. And I understand that point of view because I was an atheist until I was 26 years old. I thought the same thing about church, filled with people that kiss their brains goodbye and just go and read an old book and sing songs to somebody that they can't see, hear, touch, or feel. We live in this time where the scientist has become the priest of the temple. The white coat that a scientist wears, and I did for many years wear one, is viewed by many as the end all, the pillar, the temple of truth. That is dead wrong, okay? And I still am a scientist. I did it for 15 years in my life and work for a major pharmaceutical company as well as hospitals. Science does not have all the answers. In fact, many things in science they hold that turn out to be very, very wrong. Give me an example, Pastor. I'm glad you asked. In 1725, they went to Australia, English explorers, and they discovered what they said was a fur-bearing mammal who laid eggs. And they sent a specimen back to England, to London, that died on the way. And so all they got was what the physiologist there said was a mole, with a duckbill sewed on it. And it was on the headlines of the New York, or excuse me, of the London Times was the greatest hoax of the century. There could be a mammal that normally suckles their young that would lay an egg and have webbed feet and have a duckbill on it and have a tail like a beaver. That's ridiculous. And they said so for a hundred years in England. And then finally in 1799, an admiral brought a specimen back of a living platypus. And everyone was amazed that it wasn't a mole with a duckbill sewed on it. It was alive. They still refused to believe it. And they didn't believe it for another 25 years. The greatest minds in science. Now, I'm not here to criticize science. I'm just saying I worked in it for many years and there were a lot of mistakes that you never hear about in the paper that take place. The greatest hoax of the century turned out to be not a hoax at all. A living animal that you can go to the San Diego Zoo and look right at, alive. So, if you're here listening and you're an atheist or a skeptic, I challenge you to set aside your disbelief, just like you would as a good scientist, examine the evidence for Jesus and make a decision based upon what you see. Verse 47, then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council of the Sanhedrin, the sitting they call it, and what sh they said, what shall we do? This man works many miracles, many signs. They admitted that he worked miracles that they couldn't explain. If Jesus came today and started working miracles in New York Square, 
in Madison Avenue in downtown LA, the same thing would happen. They would say, it's not real. It looked like a miracle, but you know, you, we've all seen magicians, but they say that he was doing miracles. Verse 48, if we let him alone like this, the next thing you know, everybody will believe in him because they knew they were real miracles he was doing. And still they rejected it. Why? Because it was their financial income. It was their job. They were running the religion. So they say he's doing those things. We've got to stop him because the Romans might come and take away our temple and our nation. And that was a real possibility. The Romans were known for that all over the known world. They captured peoples and brought them back to Rome. And they moved them around and they made slaves of them. They enslaved whole countries. In fact, a first century historian, a Roman historian named Pliny, said that in Rome, there were six slaves for every single citizen. Six times more people who were slaves, enslaved people, than citizens of Rome. So it was a real possibility. In fact, it had happened in the past in Israel, 722 BC. The Assyrians came in and took the 10 northern tribes away. And then in 586, the Babylonians came down, King Nebuchadnezzar, and destroyed the temple and the city and took all the Jews back to Babylon. So it could happen. In fact, it did happen 70 AD in about 35 years after what we're reading took place, the Romans came and hauled off 100,000 Jewish slaves. So it was a real fear. That's true. It could happen. Fasten your seatbelts. Verse 49. One of them, the high priest Caiaphas, who was a political appointee from the Roman government. The Jews normally chose their own high priest, only now the Romans ran the country, and they chose this man. He said to them, you don't know anything at all. Now, Josephus, who wrote history of this time, said that he was a, a very arrogant man. And it sounds like it when you listen to this. But here's what's interesting. In 1970, the bone box of the high priest was found in Jerusalem. There it is. That's Caiaphas's bones. And we know it's the Caiaphas because it was found in that tomb with various members of his family whom we know from secular records are his progeny. You say, I want physical proof, Pastor. Come to Israel with us. You can walk up and touch that box. That says, you can't read Hebrew, it says Caiaphas. That's him. Why is God releasing all these things now? That sits right next to the stone that says Pontius Pilate on it, which sits right next to a man who was crucified, who has a nail driven through his feet, and those feet are sitting right there too. You want physical proof for crucifixion? For this man, Caiaphas, is right there. That Pontius Pilate was a real governor of Israel. Suspend your unbelief and consider. Now, I'm telling you because it's 
faith-affirming archaeology. This is the science of archaeology that affirms what we read and believe in Scripture. It proves it. Can I say that with much emphasis? It is physical proof that these men existed and that the Bible is recording their being there. So he stands up, makes this statement, you're idiots, that's what he says basically, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient, it's a good thing for us that one man should die for the nation. Now he makes a statement that turns out to be a prophecy of reality. Jesus is going to die for the sins of the nation of Israel and every other nation on the planet. How did he know that? God gave him this insight even though he was ungodly man. God uses anybody to tell people about himself. He'll use, I've even heard a politician speak truth. Rare, I agree, but it can happen. You read the Old Testament and there was a prophet there named Balaam and he wouldn't listen to an angel sent from the Lord. So God made the donkey talk. God can use anything. He still uses donkeys today. Verse 51. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and he would die for all of us in the process. So he speaks and it's truth even though he doesn't know God. So for us, we need to be careful when we listen to someone speaking who may not be religious at all. It's possible for God to give us a message through somebody that's not normally close to him. 52. And not for that nation only, not just Israel, but also that he would gather together in one place the children of God who were scattered abroad. Not the children of Abraham, but children of God. That's anyone who has surrendered their life to God and God is their father. So this is a fascinating statement by a man who didn't know God turns out to be absolutely right. Now notice every tribe. The book of Revelation says in heaven, you and I will be amongst people from every tongue, every tribe, every race. If you're prejudiced against some certain group, you have a big problem in heaven because everybody's going to be there. And that's what the apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians when he said there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Scythian or slave. All are one in Jesus Christ. We will all be together in heaven. Better learn how to get along now. We're going through the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Ray here on Grow in Grace. And it's just a part of our Through the Bible study. If you'd like the CD, which contains the complete and uninterrupted message, call us today at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. 
We're thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to share his word over the radio. And maybe this is a ministry you'd like to support. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And we'll say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers for well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attitude of God, from God's infinitude to his immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Just call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And if you wouldn't mind in the next day or two, send off an email to let us know you're listening and what you're getting out of the present series in John. It's encouraging to hear how God is at work through Grow in Grace. Let us know what the Lord is doing in your life when you email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us back here next time as we return to our study of the Gospel of John. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now build with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith